We're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 14, finishing this chapter. The text is printed in your bulletin. Uh, It will be up on the screens for you as well. But if you have a physical Bible, let's go ahead and turn there, Romans 14. We're looking at verses 13 through 23, and then we're going to dip into chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Anytime uh, Chuck or I get up uh, in front of you, it is proper and right for us to remind us of where we are in the Bible, the context in which this passage that we are looking at today uh, comes in the Scripture. So over the last six months, we have looked at the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. In chapter 12, we're kind of deep into this section now, but in chapter 12, he turns the page to a really a call to action, right? But we need to understand what comes before that because without chapters 1 through 11, chapters 12 through 15 really don't make any sense on their own. So in chapter 3, in the beginning of Romans, we see that each one of us, not the worst of the worst, not the people that we consider bad people, but all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That we, Chuck has said this over and over again since I've been here, don't have the right currency to get right with God. We could never do enough to get right with God. So what did God do? He saw a problem and authored a solution in his very son, Jesus Christ. Jesus took on flesh. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling the duty of the law that we are required to keep. And at the same time, he took the penalty for us breaking the law. Not only that, he raised on the third day to beat sin and death once and for all. So for a believer, it is simply resting and trusting and having faith in the work of another person, namely Jesus Christ, that we are saved by his work, nothing that we do on our own. So in chapter 12, when he turns the page, he's running off the assumption that you know this, that you have received mercy, you have received the love of Christ. In chapter 12, he says, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Remember, we talked about that phrase in specific, meaning that it is all of your life, every part of your life for the entirety of your life. All of your life is to be given as a living sacrifice for what God has done for you. So last week we began in Romans chapter 14, and we remember we looked at what it looks like for Christians within the church to disagree well on secondary issues. We kind of talked about two different groups of people, the weak in faith, the strong in faith. And remember, the weak in faith are not those who are weak in self-control or weak in character, but they're weak in liberty of conscience. They have a sensitive conscience towards lifestyle. And the strong is the one who has Christian freedom in lifestyle, probably does enjoy more things than the weak in faith. But Paul, he looks at the passage, he looks at the people, I mean, in the passage and says, well, these are the two sides and it's not one is right and one is wrong. No, actually you're both wrong because both of us are tempted in some way to sin against the other side, right? The strong are tempted to despise or look down upon, think they're better than the weak. And the weak... There is a temptation to pass judgment on the others. Like, I can't believe that person. Remember, I gave you that example. Looking at my buddies in seminary, going to the bar and saying, are they even Christians? I really felt that way, and I was judging them big time, right? That's the temptation of the weak to say, how could they even do this? But Paul reminds us that these are secondary issues. This is tier two, tier three. 
Welcome one another, accept one another, for God has welcomed you. So today, as we look at the second half of chapter 14 and into 15, unity in the body of Christ is the main theme. Okay, we're looking at unity. What does it mean for you and me to be unified to each other? How are we going to live to keep the unity in Christ? And I would say that he emphasizes giving away our rights and our freedom for the good of other people. That's what Paul is talking about here. It's a hard text, but we're going to dive right in. And I'm going to stay close to it because it's a hard text. So I'm going to let the Apostle Paul speak. Okay, so let's look at Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 13 through 23. And then uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the, the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is accept, acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but the, it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, between, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we come before you uh, today, uh, thankful for your word, uh, that speaking in time and space to a specific people uh, can be applied throughout the generations to your church. And Father, we pray uh, that those who have received mercy those who have received the love of God, would be uh, encouraged and equipped to live for you today through this um, text that we look at this morning. Father, we come before you humbly, knowing that we do uh, sin and err quickly most days of the week. And Father, we pray that you would uh, convict us of those things to live for your glory and the good of the church. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start... The very embarrassing story about myself, okay, just to get to make a good point, okay. So, uh, my first car as a 15 year old was a red 1994 Ford Mustang GT. Unfortunately, that car uh, got totaled by somebody that ran at stop sign. I love that car. My junior year, I got really what I would consider as my baby, uh, my a 1998 uh, Mustang Cobra. I had this for a long time afterwards. And in my high school years, I found. Uh, 
a group of friends, uh, people from my school, people that were older than me as well. Uh, we all loved cars, right? So we would hang out on the weekends, and we would drive around little town Las Cruces, and, you know, we'd go to the, uh, the racetrack, those sorts of things all together. Right? It was a community of us together that we really uh, liked this one uh, common hobby. And I'll admit to you that um, my, my record, uh, if you're a police officer, is not uh, spotless by any means um, for when I was young. Okay, So I'm going to tell you one story. One time, I was like, it's a Friday night, late at night, and I was driving around with some of my friends. And if you know Las Cruces, you know Main Street has a little downtown mall. And like in the 80s, uh, the downtown mall used to have a, a road that go, went through the middle of it. But in the 80s, they paved, o- paved it over, and it became a walkway. They've actually changed it now. But when I was hu- in high school, it was like this. So you have this downtown mall that's kind of supposed to like r- run a, a road right through it. So instead of this run going, run road going through it, they made this road that goes around like this. So, it's very embarrassing. Um, so, my, my buddies and I, if you have a fast car that's rear-wheel drive and you start hitting the gas really hard around a corner, do you know what happens? It fishtails around the corner. So, you think about this as like a perfect, like it just, it's like a racetrack almost. So, late at night, we're going around these corners and like flipping the tails, tails back and forth. Like, my, one of my buddies is going ahead of me. And we take, we, we're trying to be safe, so we, we put space between us. But he's going behind, ahead of me and somewhat safe. I'm going to get to that in the story. He flips his tail like this, and it's super loud, right? Like loud and like obnoxious, like everything, you know, a 17-year-old Dawson would do. Flips the corner around, and in, in the corner of my eye, I see red and blue flashing lights coming, okay? So this cop pulls up, pulls, there's three of us, pulls three of us over, and, uh, you know, I'm 17, at the time, maybe 18, and I'm really ignorant of, like, the weight of responsibility of driving, right? Like, I'm 17, I'm invincible. Like, literally, I thought that. Like, what could kill me? Like, I'm going to be fine, right? And honestly, I just thought, I'm just having fun. It's only me I have to worry about. But I, I think I'll always remember this, and it didn't actually didn't sting with me too much then, but it does now when I look back. I remember this cop pulled me over, and he said hardly anything, right? He gave me the normal, like, uh, license and registration type of thing initially, But what he told me was, you need to be careful on the road, son. Do you understand that your actions could kill someone? He gave me my ticket and he walked away. So as a young teenager, I really had no concept at all of hurting other people with my driving. No concept. It was not even in my mind whatsoever. I'm sure that they told me that in driver's head. This is really dangerous, right? But no concept for me. I was so focused on myself, what was good for me, what was fun for me, that I was ignorant of how my decisions affected other people. And this is an extreme example, right? But if you're anything like me, we know that we often make decisions in our own life about our lifestyle, about how we live without considering how it affects other people. We say, this decision, it only affects me. I have no need to worry. Well, at times that may be true, the Apostle Paul in our text today is warning us about how our lifestyle decisions do affect other people. The decisions we make, even in the conviction of the Lord that he has given to us, can affect others. I gave an extreme example. Let me be clear. That was illegal and wrong, what I was doing as a teenager, right? But here, the Apostle Paul is actually bringing it back. He's saying, even in the convictions I have given you, You need to be aware of how your life is affecting your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
You need to be sensitive to how your life affects them. So the theme we're looking at today is this. Uh, Christians are to pursue a lifestyle that promotes harmony and upbuilding for those around us. This is in your bulletin as well as the outline, and it should be up on the screens for you as well. Uh, Christians are to pursue a lifestyle that promotes harmony and upbuilding for those around us. We're going to look at two things. Uh, First, examine your brother. This is verses 13 through 18. And then second, examine yourself, verses 19 through 23, and then on to chapter 15. So I want us to remember, I'm going to give you a little bit more of a recap from last week in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Paul spoke about uh, disagreeing on secondary issues. So this is not the core doctrine of uh, Christ is actually God's son and God is alive and speaks. But we see that this is secondary issues. I named a few last week. You know, the two examples he gave was how we use our time as far as the calendar and eating what we eat. Right. So it's kind of really secondary issues here. The week's temptation will be to pass judgment on other people. And the strong's temptation will be to despise or look down upon people for their life. It says, you are both wrong, but welcome one another. At the same time, he said this, be convinced in your own mind what is good and honoring to God. Be convinced in your own mind. Take biblical wisdom, apply it to your specific life, and be convinced on how to live in these secondary issues. So he's continuing the same argument, but it's taking it a step further. That not only are we to be convinced in our own mind, but we're going to know the convictions of the people around us and see how our life affects their life. And it's really beautiful because he roots it in the work of Christ, right? In chapter 15, verses 2 through 3, he says this, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build them up. But here, for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So as Christ, as Jesus Christ, God's own son, had the liberty to do whatever he wanted to do without sin, right? He did not please himself. He gave away his rights to free the guilty, you and me. So as Christ followers, we know that we are saved by God's work in Christ. The same time, His work on our behalf fuels us to live for the good of the kingdom, giving away ourselves for the good of those around us. Okay, so let's look first. Examine your brother, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to start in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In the first 12 verses, he goes from moving from what needs to be avoided to here, what needs to be done. So instead of judging others or despising others, we are to decide how to live what is best in a, in a way that is best for the other person. It's really interesting. We don't see this in the English, but in this, in this verse, the word, the, ver, the word for past judgment and decide are actually the same original language, Greek word. They're the same exact word. It's a wordplay here. You could actually say, don't pass judgment on others. Rather, judge how you are not to harm your brother. So the idea here is don't judge other people. Judge yourself. Look, how am I going to hurt other people by my life? Don't look out. Look in and see how your life is affecting other people. He talks about two different things, putting a stumbling block and a hindrance in front of other people by how you live. This idea of stumbling blocks, it, it, it's, 
literal, I'm um, sorry, figurative language. It's not literal. It's not like putting a stone in front of somebody and making them trip. It is that. You don't want to do that. But also, it's, it's figurative, right? It's putting something in the life of a, of a believer that causes him or her to head towards spiritual downfall. And the idea of hindrance is very similar. It's temptation. It's a trap. It's causing others to go into ruin. He's saying, don't do that. Verse 15, he goes on. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So this is the tricky thing about this text, right? Is that making decisions based on your own convictions can hurt other believers. That's what he's saying. So Paul says, know the people around you. Know your brothers and sisters in Christ and what it, how the Lord has convicted them and how your convictions and living into those are affecting them. If your decisions hinder them, causing them to head towards spiritual downfall, that's not loving. And in other words, you need to be convinced in your own mind of what is good and right. But at the same time, you need to be sensitive towards others and how your lifestyle affects them. Because in doing what you see as right, you may hurt your other brother, which is seen as evil. It's complicated. So I said this text is hard. But we have to know each other, know each other's convictions and how our lifestyle affects them. In verse 14, Paul resonates with the strong. He says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Then in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here, he's saying, There's no food that's unclean. But for the person who is convicted by God himself that it is unclean, it is unclean for that person. We know that Paul has knows that Jesus himself declared all foods to be clean. We see that in several spots in the gospel that there is nothing unclean for a person to eat. But for the weaker brother... If they do partake in these things what the Lord has convicted them, this is not best for me. If they partake in that, that is sin. That's what the text is telling us here. I'm going to give you an example. Fast forwarding from last week, I gave you that example about alcohol in my own life and how it was difficult for me to, to grapple with what alcohol looked like in my own life, right? I remember before I went to seminary and kind of really walked through it, I remember I was really struggling with this idea. I'm like, man, I was just like convicted. I'm like, I, I really don't think I should be drinking. And it's, I'm having a hard time with the people around me that are, right? And I was judging them. There's my own thing. But I remember I was talking to my brother about this. And he actually took me to Romans 14 here in this text. And he said, Dawson, look, if, if he's convicted you in a certain way, then it's good for you to abstain. It's good. And... The text says, he didn't say, but the text says, if a stronger Christian is saying, oh, it's okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, and pushing you against the conviction, that's actually evil. This is a difficult text because it's not black and white. We have to know each other and how to apply biblical wisdom in these different circumstances. 
The thing is that we must never entice our friends to violating their standards, even if their standards feel misguided to us, because God has convicted them in that way. Verse 17 gives us the bigger picture that these issues, remember, they're secondary. The, the kingdom is not just about eating and drinking and entertainment. It's much bigger than that. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So those things are minor. They're small. Don't be quarrelsome. That's what last week we said. Do not be quarrelsome over these things. I'm going to give a few examples. This text was really hard for me to look at and try to apply to us, right? Because we could take the categories that he gave us of calendar and eating, but I think it applies much broader than that. One example is this, and I took this from Doriani's commentary. He says this, Imagine that Jason is a new believer, and he's convinced and he's convicted by the Holy Spirit that stimulants or like caffeine is evil. His mentor Andrew may give up coffee for a season since believers do not exercise their freedom in ways that harm other people. Legally speaking, Andrew has every right to drink caffeinated beverages, but he will not drink coffee with Jason if he thinks Jason may drink it even though he considers it wrong. Likewise, we must forecast the effects of legally innocent actions lest we harm a brother or a sister. Another example. Maybe you have a new, newly found friend in this church and you feel that partaking in certain entertainment, music, movies, whatever it may be, is sinful. A friend that feels like it's sinful. But the call from this passage for us is to know the convictions of the other people. That's where we've got to start. And to honor them, to abstain, to show them love by abstaining from these secondary things. Maybe your brother or sister in Christ thinks your side of one social issue. I'm not going to go into anyone. There's a hundred hot topic, hot button issues you could pick. One of those, immigration, political party, racial injustice, whatever it may be. You f- they feel like your side is the side of the devil, right? And that's probably what's being said on the news. That's how it's just very controversial. And in this scenario, I think what Paul is calling us to, the loving action, is not to try to convince them, but not to speak about this topic if it causes them to stumble. We're going to see this in a second, but in verse 22, he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Maybe you need to be, keep your convictions to yourself at times, lest you cause your brother to stumble. And all of this, Remember, there's secondary issues, and they should not be causing quarrels. So where do we go from here with this text? I think the first thing is, and I've said this several times, that we need to uh, know the convictions of our brothers and our sisters. Honestly, this is the kind of stuff, this is the kind of stuff you only find out if you're in community with other people in the church. You're not going to find this out on Sunday morning. So you have to be in a relationship outside of Sunday morning with fellow believers to really know them. This is one of the purposes of life group right, is to know other people. So do you know the people around you? In the Bible study you go to, in your life group, the people that sit on your road, do you know them outside of this place here? Do you know how they feel about certain issues? This text is assuming that you know. But we have to see clearly that this takes work, right? It takes work to know other people in this room. Spend time getting to know them and see how your decisions affect their life. Second, I would say, uh, at the ask, what priority are you putting on these secondary issues? Are they so important to you and to me that we would be willing to cause division over them? 
We have to ask the question because sometimes we just go with our gut. And like, if we think about it, oh, maybe I shouldn't bring this up because it'll cause division. It's a, sec- it's a secondary issue, right? But we have to ask ourselves, are they so important to us? Because the, the text says the kingdom is more important than these small things. Abstain if it promotes unity. Don't cause another to stumble. Are you willing to forgo your own freedom in these areas for the good of another person? The thing is, in the West, we love our freedom. We love our rights. And I would argue our country was founded on many godly principles. The freedom of the individual, rights of the individual are good things. But often, they can become so ingrained in our life that they are at the center. What does Tim Keller call that? An idol. Anything family, vocation, your rights as an individual, if they are becoming ultimate, more important than our relationship with God, than the kingdom of God, then they are an idol. That we'll be tempted to live and die for these things. And the text tells us that we need to give up these things for the spiritual good of others. Doriani in his commentary says this, the individual who enjoys the kingdom's righteousness Peace and joy will also strive to promote them and will sacrifice his rights to that end if necessary. Verse 18 says, If whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men, and in his commentary he says this, Whoever serves Christ, that phrase in the text, refers to the person who promotes harmony by forgoing his rights. The goal is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is eminently Christ-like. He finishes saying this, insisting on personal rights at the expense of other people is one way to forget the gospel altogether. It's difficult for us to put other people's rights in front of us, to put their convictions, saying, well, I'm free to do this. It doesn't really matter how it affects them. But Paul is telling us, no, it actually does. You're actually sinning if you do that. He goes a step further. Okay, secondly, let's look at examine yourself. This is verses 19 through 23, and then into chapter 15. Verse 19 and 20 say this. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So here, from the beginning of... um, 14 down to this point he's been making one argument we see this is the conclusion of the argument right here he's saying so then do this concerned that the strong the strong in faith will abuse their freedom hurting their brother and sister in christ he reminds the reader in plain language run after what makes for peace and upbuilding. don't think what can i get away with no that's the wrong question it's like how can i upbuild my Brother and sister in Christ, that is the right question. Do not destroy what God is doing in the life of another by simple things like what you eat, what you watch, what you listen to. Sure, you can do those things with a good conscience, but verse 20 tells us it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. One theologian in his commentary says this, Christians disagree about food and drink and the use of time. We differ about the best way to spend money, how to use social media, how to seek entertainment, how we express ourselves politically, stay healthy, and more. For the sake of others, we must ask, 
Should I keep my convictions to myself? Should I act in ways that please others instead of pleasing myself? When we relinquish our freedoms and pursue peace, the Lord is pleased. Verse 21, he goes on. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So in all of this, the first 20 verses, if Paul has not been clear thus far, he is crystal clear here. The strong sin when they cause another weaker brother to stumble, even living within their convictions. Sometimes it's best not to say anything at all about these convictions and to abstain from even the discussion. And I would encourage us all, right, our life is much different than what it was even 20 years ago, right? That we could say this, let's do this when we're in life group, when we're in Bible study, when we're having a family over. But our voice is heard in many other places in the sphere now, right? Not only in person are we to watch our tongue, but also online, right? Taking into account how we're speaking, how other people are seeing us, social media, on the internet. Are we causing others to stumble by how we speak and live in person and online? Are we? Another theologian says this, Blessed is a strong believer who does not condemn himself by approving actions that harm others. Blessed are the weak who do not take illicit delight in condemning the strong for their liberties that they think the strong are taking. Paul concludes this section, and I started with it because I think it's important to root us in Jesus, right? But he concludes this section in chapter 15 and rooting us in Jesus. In verse 1 through 3, he says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So we are called by the power of the Holy Spirit not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbors by how we live. Chapters 1 through 11, Romans spells out who we are and how we got here, that we are sinners in the need of saving, in the need of grace, no way out of this mess on our own. It is only through the work of another that we could be saved. So for you and me, where we stand, our foundation is not on the work, even the call to action that he's giving us here. Our foundation, the core of who we are, is in this. For Christ did not please himself, but he gave him up, himself up for us all. To close, I, Paul speaks in Philippians 2 in a very similar way, and I thought it was very good and helpful for us to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, that we may be fueled to live for the good of the kingdom. In uh, chapter tw- 2 of Philippians, he says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Christ not only gave up his rights on secondary issues, he gave up his very life for you and me. He emptied himself, being obedient to the point of being murdered by humanity. He did not look to his own interests, but to the interests of the people he loved. Let the work of Christ fuel our love for those around us, that we may pursue peace and harmony for the kingdom of God. Let us pray together. God, what a beautiful thing it is that you have done for us. That despite our sin, you sent your son to be emptied for us that we may be filled by his work, clothed in his righteousness. Father, as we come away from a text like this, we do pray uh, for two things in specific. One, that we be reminded that our worth is not tied to the things that we have done, but it is tied to Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. And secondly, out of that, God, we pray that our life would be changed, that it would be fueled by the work that you have done in our life on on our behalf, that we may live and see those around us and love those people around us by laying down our very rights for them. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, for all he has done for us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.